everybody, and welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast, March 2019 in review. My name is Mike Bloom, here to talk through the three episodes that happened in March 2019 for Saturday Night Live Season 44. A lot to get into, but of course, I'm not alone in this pursuit. I'm joined by my co-host, Mario Lanza. Mario, I'm to understand that you made a PowerPoint presentation for the listeners. Is that right? Help. <laughs> yes, that was my presentation. Wayne Brady is not going to be appearing on this podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was a little late getting here. I was out rolling with my group of problematic bachelors called the Squad. I, well, listen, Mario, I think that if there's one person you could resonate most out of any SNL character, it might be Bill Hader's sadistic game show host. <laughs> yes, that was basically me in a sketch. I was very excited. They they finally Someone has finally written my life story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you live your life through one word, chaos. So I feel like that's just, they channeled you so much without even realizing it. No, the word that I actually live my life around is checks. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Ashkawanda. Yeah, Ashkawanda, Goop, whatever. Checks. Checks are drama, Mike. Checks are a secret. Well, we're going to, as we're talking about in our intro, we're going to be jumping around a lot over these three episodes. Because suffice it to say, we've got a lot to talk through. Put out the precursor that uh, we probably will not touch upon everything because it's a lot to talk through and we have a lot to get through. So if you're again, if you're looking for more of those micro scene by scene breakdowns, check out what John and Steve are doing. We're going to take some overall looks at things and look ahead to the five episodes that should ring out season 44. Uh, But first, let's let's go big picture with these three episodes overall. Mario, three very different episodes, I would say overall in both tone and quality What'd you think about the John Mulaney, Idris Elba, and Sandra O oh episodes? I think this will probably surprise people because I am the salty one who loves to point out flaws, but I really like the stretch of episodes, and I have actually liked most of the episodes going back. I think right before this, we liked the ones before this as well, if I recall, correct? Yeah, I would say I totally agree with you, actually. I'm going to put in a, a bit here and say that you know last season we talked about how it started off a little rough, but the back half in particular had a really strong group of episodes. I would say maybe a step down in terms of quality, but I would say it's the same trend here. I feel like since that Rachel Brosnahan episode, I think that was the first episode of 2019, it's been a pretty good streak of episodes so far. Yeah, I think they're finishing strong, and that's that's the infuriating thing about doing an SNL podcast these days is because these seasons kind of start slow, and you kind of give up on them, and they start to gather momentum and gather momentum, and they're starting to get kind of fun, and then the season ends right when they're starting to get fun. So I, I really, I really like the Mulaney episode. I really, really like the Idris Elba episode even more than the Mulaney one. And the Sandra O oh one I didn't think was great, but it was one of those rare episodes that got better as it went along. Mm. Like usually they load the front half with the good stuff. The Sandra O oh episode I didn't think was great at the start, but it really kind of ended strong and it was very fun the last half hour, 45 minutes. So, I mean, that's really the best you can ask for from SNL most of the time that at least half of the show was really fun. Yeah, I will say the Mulaney episode was probably my favorite of the three. I was actually going back and forth a bit as well with the, the Idris Elba and the John Mulaney of it all. And then, look, the John Mulaney episode, was it as fantastic as last season's? No, I mean, that was my favorite episode of the season, bar none. And maybe it's just an uh, expectations that we sort of know what he's go- a John Mulaney episode is going to bring. But I still thought it was a season highlight and really just showcased how strong of a writer and a comedian that he is it really just felt like everything was in the vein of john mulaney uh, the mulvaney that entire episode and i thought even the stuff that didn't necessarily hit was still really entertaining to watch 
Idris Elba one, uh, I put sort of in the middle of my ranking because I thought there was some really good stuff in there. Mixed with some stuff that I wasn't a, a huge fan of. It really was an example of a mixed bag. But I thought Idris Elba really did a great job. It's interesting because I thought he was actually one of the uh, more foreign hosts who had their accent probably mixed in a bit more than I would think he would, considering how he's known for playing such Americanized characters. Lots of accents slipping out, but it's live TV. You only get a couple days to remember this stuff. I suppose that's part of the course. And Sandra Oh, I thought she was one of the most game hosts. I will say this season... If we're talking about the season batting a thousand with anything, it's their hosts. Everyone mm-hmm. has been super game and super talented, even if the material hasn't sort of uh, been up to snuff. And I thought she was so excitable, so game for everything, and did a great job in some of these sketches. I think this was just the one where the material wasn't exactly meeting her halfway. There were a couple things that I'm sure we can definitely talk through, but I'll say, you know, this one was pretty stratified for me, where Mulaney was at the top. I think it's number two. Idris was around the middle, and Sandra O's around like, the middle slash bottom. It has not reached that Mount Rushmore of like the James McAvoy, Steve Carell episodes. <laughs> but I would say I totally agree with you that I think it's a good streak of episodes where even like the lowest of the bunch still has some redeeming qualities to it. Yeah. And then keep in mind, I'm selectively ignoring like the political stuff, which still sucks <laughs> and will continue to suck the rest of the season. So I'm, I, I just selectively don't even count those as part of the episode. So that's the thing. Like, are you talking about these are overall great episodes, like all timers? No, but yeah, to follow up your point, great hosts. Uh, Mulaney, I'm one of those, he's one of those guys. They could have him host once a season and I would always watch it because it's always going to be interesting. Mm. Like even the stuff that I don't think works, it doesn't work in an interesting way. And that's really one of the high, actually one of the highest compliments I can give to a comedian. Like even the stuff that I don't think was great, it was still interesting why it wasn't great. And I'd like to talk about it. And there's the one, the big one is the bodega one, obviously. I mean, yeah. what you think of that sketch will overall drive what you thought of the episode. Idris Elba, yeah, like you said, he had the accent to work around, but he was very game. He was doing a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I, I, there was some really, really good stuff in the middle of that one. It kind of fell apart at the end, but I really liked the stuff they wrote for him. But, and then Sandra, oh, you left out that she had to work around the accent too, the Canadian accent that she was trying to hide. Yeah. Well, listen, she was very, uh, she was, she was very nice about it. She apologized profusely. I noticed after every time, uh, you know, an aboot got let out. (laughs) Yeah. Hey buddy, I'm not your friend guy. Oh boy. Well, let's, let's start getting into these episodes because, Again, since these sort of spanned in terms of tone and hosts, even though they were all very energetic and excitable, I thought it might be best to just sort of compare them. Let's find the similarities between these three shows and see if we can compare them and rank them uh, like we tend to do with this type of stuff. And Mario, we'll get the political stuff out of the way. Let's start with the cold open here. So as a brief reminder for people of what we're going to compare against for these three episodes... Uh, the cold open from the Mulaney episode was the Michael Cohen testimony, which featured Ben Stiller's return as Michael Cohen, as well as Bill Hader's cameo. We also have uh, from the Idris Elba episode, the R. Kelly, Gail King interview, SNL's take on that. And then finally, the telephone game with Robert Mueller, uh, Barr, Attorney General Barr, and Donald Trump. So, Mario, if, if you could give a quick ranking to those three, where would those be for you? All right, so there's one that features De Niro, which obviously would be on the bottom. I mean, I think that goes without saying. Like he is, I can I can stop saying things and calling things the Cardi B if they're the worst part of an episode. I will now refer to them as the De Niro. So oh if De Niro God. literally shows up in an episode, it sucks. So are we in any debate here? That was the worst, right? That was, no, it was by far the worst. I mean, he didn't even try to look down at the paper he was supposed to be reading from. His eyes were glued to that car like it was an eye test the entire time. Look, they're... I would say I think 
no matter what political side of the spectrum you're from, I think we can all be in agreement that we are happy the Mueller report has been filed because hopefully this means we will not need to see Robert De Niro in a very, very long time on SNL because God, did they corner themselves with that? <laughs> just, just think Mario, this was done as part of just a fun little bit. When, when Ben Stiller was Michael Cohen, they said, Oh, wouldn't it be fun if we had Mueller interviewing him and it was like meet the parents. And so they cast Robert De Niro as Mueller. That's the only reason why he was given this role. And he ends up having to appear what five other times. And it's just been awful. It has been terrible. And I hope this is a sign from SNL. They've been waning away. I think from like the, Ooh, let's bring in a celebrity to do a cameo as, you know, a member of the administration. Hopefully this means that they learned their lesson and they realize like, oh, they can't all be Melissa McCarthy. Wait, you think they're waning away from that? It seems like they're still doing it as much as ever. I don't think so. I mean, I think they made the choices that they sort of stuck with. But I guess outside of Bill Hader, I can't really think of maybe Matt Damon. But it feels like we're not getting like someone coming back every other episode like we did with De Niro and like we did with Sean Spicer. Uh, okay, I refuse to believe SNL is learning any lessons from this. I know if another big person pops up in the news, in the Trump news, it'll be a celebrity coming in. There's no way they've learned jack crap out of this. Although I will say this from a personal point of view, I've been doing a, uh, you know, I have my other podcast, Staff Picks, which is about movies, and I just did an episode on Wag the Dog with Robert De Niro. And boy, is that cognitive dissonance watching De Niro in 2019 on live TV and then watching De Niro in the late 90s as a really, really good actor who steals a movie. It's like, whoa, my brain can't handle watching these two things uh, simultaneously. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like watching, I don't know, watching your looking at a picture at your grandpa at a young age and then like watching him now. He, now he's sort of like the uh, the cake <laughs> character sitting in the break room just going kiss, kiss. <laughs> yeah. He's reading kiss off a cue card. Uh, could I say it's also like Steve Carell owning the office and then Steve Carell being terrible on SNL? Is it like that too? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very similar in terms of just <laughs> different settings. But yeah, this was, uh, look, I'll, I always give them kudos for trying something different. I thought the way they sort of did the telephone was interesting, but considering that poor 80 was sandwiched between Placid De Niro and tired Alec Baldwin, it was just not a good sandwich. <laughs> no. All right. So yeah, clearly that was the worst. That was the Robert De Niro of the stretch of episodes. Uh, of the other ones, I liked the uh, the Gail King one with R. Kelly, although I will say I liked part of it a lot and part of, the other part of it not a lot at all. Was the other part Leslie Jones? <laughs> yeah, Leslie just ruining every sketch she's in. She just totally butchered that one. But the writing and Keenan were so good in that they actually salvaged it. And I really kind of like that one. I completely agree. I mean, I know this depending on how you what you think this might be a low bar, not to be confused with the attorney general. But I think this is my favorite cold open of the season, bar none. I think that. The writing was so freaking good on this. Yeah. Uh, just, just like the, you know, the please call me victim. Uh, I love the math stuff of like a person made a six part documentary about me. Six. That's almost 10. Uh, you can't think of one nice thing to say about the devil. I can. Nice horns gives good advice. But I think by far my favorite part was <laughs> the R. Kelly not noticing that there's a camera there and then replying, y'all just keep your cameras out in the open like that. You're freaks. <laughs> I know that people were saying, like, oh, Chris Red should have been R. Kelly, but I don't think we needed an R. Kelly impression. I thought Keenan did a remarkable job with this. They were able to really just walk this really stupid depiction of him to the point where, and I love the small touches whenever they change up the live from New York stuff. The fact that he tried to do it in what he thought was the camera, which was a potted plant. It's just those little touches that... Like you said, even if Leslie did have uh, a few screw-ups as the jail king, I think that the rest of it more than outweighs the bad. Yeah, wait, so someone actually is arguing that they need less Keenan on the show? That was an actual argument you've heard? 
Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, the the online community was a little miffed that Chris Red did not get the opportunity to play R. Kelly. But I mean, this was such a Keenan showcase. Oh, yeah. Again, it's his victory lap. I think he's leaving at the end of the season and just throw him out there as much as you can and let him do his electric shoes in every sketch. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, for. like, basically the entire season is a version of electric shoes where it's just yeah. like, let him come out and keep doing things. Yeah, let them play just like the Bad News Bears. That's Keenan here. Let him enjoy his victory lap. Uh, did you have any thoughts about the uh, the one that finished in the middle here, the Michael Cohen cold open with Bill Hader and uh, Ben Stiller? I mean, it's the same. It's the celebrity showcase. You bring out Ben Stiller, everybody gets to applaud, and then Bill Hader's there for some reason. Everybody gets to applaud. So it's just, I I, I didn't dislike that one as much as the Trump one because there was some funny stuff in that. They actually had some jokes in there, like when Kyle couldn't pronounce the words. Yes, I enjoyed that, and some of the uh, some of the, the the senators kept throwing it back to Bill Hader was funny. So like they actually had comedic stuff in there, which I appreciated. Yeah, I think my two favorite parts were Bill Hader and Kyle Mooney. Uh, I did like throwing back to Bill, and I mean Bill Hader, he just proves to me instantly like I, you're always he's always going to be like one of my probably top two or three SNL cast mm-hmm. members of all time because he's so freaking good, and he <laughs> he proved it here by just immediately going in on Michael Cohen, uh, just screaming at the top of his lungs was so good. But yeah, I loved Kyle with his uh, you can't tell truth from fictionals. Uh, if you're a liar, pants are fire. If you're truth, pants are goof. <laughs> I think that was probably the highlight. And I, you know what? I'm fine with Ben Siller reading Natalie and Brulia torn lyrics. I like that better than Alec Baldwin trying to make his way through All Star by Smash Mouth by comparison. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I am not unaware of the irony that I just said. People are arguing they should have less Keenan, and then I just argued they should have less Bill Hader. So I'm not unaware of the irony I just walked into there. All right, well, let's move on here before we put you in front of uh, your own congressional firing squad to our comparisons between monologues. Now, I will say John Mulaney in a very different category, but I feel like uh, Idris Elba and Sandra Oh both, both sort of live in that realm. I think one thing that maybe, even though you say maybe SNL does not learn a lot, one thing I think they have learned from or at least tried differently this season is really stayed away from the musical monologues or question from the audience, considering that both mm. two, 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 uh, both two one-time hosts here just had very sincere personal monologues, albeit Elba's was, I think, a little more heartfelt, Elba's was a little more jokey. How would you rank these three personally? I have a feeling, I'm just going to say it, Millennium's number one, right? Yeah, it's not fair to compare because one's a stand-up comic. He's got material all ready to go, so it's not fair. I'll, I'll just, Millennium's awesome, I loved his jokes, I don't want to even harp on individual ones. I would put him number one, but that doesn't mean the other two were, like, bad. I Like I said, they've really done a good job this season with, like you said, the heartfelt monologues where someone just comes out and tells a personal story about their life. They talk about what this means to them, how much they've always wanted to be on SNL. So, yeah, I thought those were both fantastic, and you got to like them right off the bat. Like, I didn't know much about Idris Elba. I didn't even know he had an accent. I just knew him from the mm. office. So, oh, this guy's got an accent. I didn't know that. And Sandra, oh, I don't, I've never, I know who she is, but I've never really watched any of her shows. And, like, I... I I thought she was very engaging and likable and funny, and she was not nervous at all. And a lot yeah. of these drama people, you throw them out there on live TV, they're a little flustered. And like she just fit in like she'd been there forever. So I was really hyped with both of them. They just really seemed like they fit, and they added to the show as opposed to having to work around them like uh, <clears throat> Liev Schreiber. But, uh, <laughs> but they actually added to the show. So I really appreciated their presence in there. Yeah, I think they both served as a microcosm of what they would actually bring to the show between O's excitability and Elba's sort of like carelessness, but simultaneous magnetism. I will mm-hmm. say if I'm comparing the two, I liked Elba's better, even if it played more like a talk show story than sort of a ha-ha comedic monologue. Uh, I still enjoyed sort of the way that it went. And I thought not to, you know, uh, impugn Sandra O oh too much, but 
I felt like that was there were they were going for a lot of jokes that weren't necessarily landing the whole bits about like I'm Asian and Canadian, you know, we're overly polite in from two <laughs> aspects and you know, I, I feel like they didn't necessarily need to bring Leslie out there as sort of a crutch to be like, oh, you can do it, Sandra, just do this. I felt like she was, to your point, she was sort of strong enough on her own, but uh-huh. I really can't complain about the monologues at all this season. I feel like even if it's just them standing in front of us, you know, telling us a story, it could be a lot worse. Yeah, and I got to give a shout out to a very underrated joke here that Sandra told. Just a, a wordplay joke. I'm a big fan of wordplay jokes, and I don't think this one got the big, the, the laugh that it should have. Where she says her name, O, in Korean, means, huh. Yeah, I, I think that might have been my favorite joke of the entire monologue, actually. It was a great way to start it off. That is fantastic. Again, that's the, the old Mitch Hedberg. That, uh, that joke was better than you acted. <laughs> all right, let's move on here. Now, we don't have a game show across all three episodes, but since it is a tried-and-true staple of SNL, I find it'd be pretty convenient to, com- to compare the Bill Hader-hosted show, What's That Name, versus Can I Play That? Uh, basically, these Twitter-sponsored casting uh, casting controversy game. So, Mario, talk to me about these two. How do they compare to each other? Well, okay, the way that you and I, you know, prepare for these podcasts is we we marathon these episodes, we watch them all back to back, and like, what's that name? Is a great sketch and it holds up well until you watch it back to back with Can I Play That? And I'm like, wow, Can I Play That is so fantastic. I kind of forget about what's that name. So that's kind of the problem when you marathon these. But like as a standalone, I really liked What's That Name? It was funny. It was a absolutely classic John Mulaney, Bill Hader sketch. That's the kind of stuff they do. I just loved how dark it was. I loved the weird turns that it took. But can I play that? I think that was one of the best sketches of the season. That was fantastic. Interesting. See, I liked What's That Name more than Can I Play That? I thought the, the Can I Play That concept I really enjoyed more. And there was some really great stuff once they actually got into it. Uh, but I, I do feel like the structure was a bit more muddled and there were some people running over each other's lines at the end. But I will say, considering how people might argue how trite game shows are on SNL nowadays, these are two that are definitely livening up the format, which sort mm. of like the monologue I'm really appreciative of. Yeah. Can't, well, keep in mind, I hate Twitter. And can I play that was just one big steaming dump on Twitter. So yeah. obviously, I'm going to walk right into that. That's, that's the kind of stuff I love to see on SNL. So yeah, it's it's really depending on your taste. But we're still talking about two of the better sketches of the season. So we're just picking hairs. Yeah. I mean, what's that name? I know it was it was dissected to death when the guys actually ended up covering that episode alone. But I just find it so interesting. And I actually was not a giant fan of what's that name the first time around, because I'm just sort of like, what is going on? And then you sort of realize that's the point. Uh, and I just love this whole breakdown of how it's essentially like Bill Hader's host creating his own little masochistic scheme to just roast poor old John Mulaney. And there's so many fun lines there. You mentioned the squad one before. I love the scaling about how the first couple of questions are $5, but when they, when they actually have to recognize people from their lives, it's like $250,000 and $10 million. Uh, I mean, Bill Hader was by far the best part of this. Uh, He was able to somehow get away with all the cruelty he's inflicting. And again, not to, uh, you know, throw too much shade on, can I play that? Because uh, I I just love the statements about how, you know, Keenan says uh, it's all acting is now about becoming yourself, but with a different haircut. I love what they finally settled upon that Rami Malek can play absolutely anybody. (laughs) I love the line that uh, you can't play an alien. Like when the aliens actually come and visit us, do you want to be the guy who appeared in green face? Yeah. (laughs) There's a fun little call out moment at the end. They didn't reference too much of uh, Idris Elba's work, but I always love the, the meta shout outs that, 
come in sprinkles there at the end when it's, you know, uh, can you play James Bond? And he says, oh, yeah, I know that one. And Kane says, well, uh, you might not. Uh, obviously referencing the fact that for a while it had been talks where if Daniel Craig retired as Bond, Idris Elba would be it. But some made arguments about, like, should he be it? So I, I think it's as long as it's not too heavy handed with the meta references. I always enjoy when SNL does that. So I thought this was a, a fun way to end the sketch. Yeah. And just remember, no, it's impossible to make a movie about Caitlyn Jenner. And I dare anyone to try. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and now we also know from what's that name, all the different versions of names that end in ARA. So that's, you know, I'm having a child soon. It's a boy. But if it was a girl, I'd have so many options in front of me. Yeah, no, again, both of these were fantastic. And I, if, if anybody prefers one over the other, I wouldn't really fault you because they're just very well done. But they're just they're aiming for different types of things. And it really just depends on which kind of thing you like more. But it is funny, like my wife, that's always her complaint. She's like, all they do is game shows. It's so boring and lazy. And I'm like, but they're usually funny. That's kind of the catch. Like, yeah, it's a crutch. But like they usually come up with a different format. And like, what's that name goes in a direction you're not expecting at all. It's so dark. So it's like, yeah, it's a tired old trope, but they do tend to do interesting things with it, at least. Right. We're, we're past the era of doing secret word over and over again. It helps yeah. that basically every time I believe that what's that name was actually a bit of a retread, but from a Timberlake episode several years back. So I'm happy that when they do a game show, they're at least doing a new game show every time, mm -hmm. you know, between this and you millennial millions. I think you could argue that maybe some of the game shows were the highlights of the season. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any disputing that at all. I think it's pretty obvious. All right, well, let's move on here. Let's go to we have a couple of pre-tapes to talk through. First, I want to talk about the commercials that ended up happening over the course of these three episodes. For Mulaney, we have the Toilet Death Ejector, which was another sort of uh, dust-off-the-war-chest, pull-out-a-John-Mulaney-rejected sketch from back in the day, versus the Bok Box Chicken, featuring uh, their little Momo-like mascot, versus the aforementioned Chex sketch. Mario, what'd you think about these three? I loved all three of these, and I, I've seen some criticism of the Bok Box one, the chicken one, but like I don't have any problem with that one. That one was fun. Um, okay, we'll go through one at a time here. The Toilet Death Ejector, which is what I thought personally was the funniest part of the Mulaney episode. Um, that was so cartoony and bad, tasty, and just like violent, and people, old people being thrown into walls and stuff. Like It almost didn't fit in this era of SNL. It almost feels like a late 90s or mid 2000s commercial that they mm -hmm. somehow shoehorned. And I mean, and it is like you said, they wrote it a long time ago. So it's, it's not the type of stuff you you see on uh, SNL these days. And I absolutely loved it. I could not be more tickled by old people being flung into couches and into the wall. Yeah, I think Paul Osselson has rubbed off on both of us because I really enjoyed it, too. <laughs> it was it was so well done. And I I cannot believe, like you said that or someone has said that that sketch was rejected many times and he brought it back. Mm. Like, who's rejecting that commercial? Who rejected that all those times? I, I demand to know who rejected that. I don't know, but it's so interesting that you bring up it would be like a 90s thing, because I could totally imagine this would be like Chris Farley all over it. You know, him in old person makeup, just throwing himself into the wall. No, oh, okay. I was saying the era after that. This is the, oh, okay. the Will Ferrell, Adam McKay. Think of old glory, glory robot insurance. That's oh, where yeah. it fits in yeah, there. It's I, just, I could, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's the era I'm talking about. It was super dark, and that's where I could see this one popping in. All right, what'd you think? So yeah, talk to me a bit about, because Bok Box is probably the shortest one of mm -hmm. it, but uh, did you know about the Momo stuff before you actually watched the sketch? Yeah, because I've spent more than one second on the internet that I, <laughs> I was in the inundated with Momo stuff when it came out. So yeah, it, was, it had already kind of passed, and it was passed then, and SNL is obviously doing a uh, cultural you know, bookend there. They're trying to tap into something that's hitting the zeitgeist right then. So I don't know how well that one's going to age, but... I thought it was pretty good. I think it'll probably age pretty well just because it was so over the top. Yeah. Like, you probably don't have to know Momo because it's funny on its own. 
Yeah. Special shout out to Heidi screaming the F word and running out of the SUV. Yeah, that was by far the best part was her reaction. Uh, when Bok Bok appears in the backseat, she just slams, she's just nopes right out there and runs out <laughs> of the car. And I will say, this seemed like a legitimate commercial for the first like 30 seconds to the point where I think I saw people say like they'd accidentally fast forward past it the first time because they thought it was a commercial yeah. until they brought in Bok Bok. And, you know, Kate does creepy well. So, you know. I agree that this is sort of, we'll talk about, you know, we can talk about the Discover commercial, I'm sure, at some point as well. But that sort of feels in the same vein of, like, let's really tap into something that's current right now, even if there's a certain portion of our audience that won't get it. But mm-hmm. actually, over the Discover episode, uh, commercial, I want to talk about the Chex commercial, because this actually might be my favorite of the three. <laughs> uh, this might have been the highlight of the Sandra O oh episode, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you pick this as the commercial over the Discover. I was kind of surprised about that. But yeah, if you want to talk about checks, I will say this was, I'm looking at my notes here, that was my favorite thing in the Sandra O oh episode. I really like Tishy. I know Tishy's going to divide some people. We'll go back to that in a minute. But the checks one was really strong. And I've seen, like, that's the one that everybody's been talking about. I've seen it posted all over the internet and people are saying, wow, that was amazing. And, and I know right off the bat, people, who's the writer? Julio Torres, is that the yeah. guy's name? Yeah, and people are saying that's got to be a Julio Torres because it felt so much like a what my little stepchildren mother stepchildren I forget that one and then the wells for boys right those yeah, were the other yeah, two yeah yeah yep exactly it's it's a very like dark and specific commercial and <laughs> yes suffice it to say I believe he posted on Instagram the bitch is back indicating that I don't know if this was another Mulaney thing that he sort of was able to bring back that had gotten cut before but yeah I mean this. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I liked it so much, because I love the pre-taped <laughs> stuff that he does. And this was just so, not only was it artfully done, but it's uh-huh. just so many great, hilarious specifics in it. <laughs> the memo on the check is the secret. Uh, I just love <laughs> the reasons are for writing a check. Because, again, like they're, I love just the, them painting this lens that the only people who make who write checks now are like these over-the-top women from soap operas, basically, who want to write checks to make him leave your daughter. Hushing Mildred, <laughs> buying poison, uh, and then just small details like get them in baseball, Daffy Duck, or Michigan State. <laughs> yeah. Hushing Mildred, right there. That's the one that jumped out at me. That's such a random, specific thing to have in a sketch. And I just love that he had the balls to put that line in there because it's like, <laughs> hush, I don't know. I, I don't even know what, what it, I can't even describe why that makes me laugh so hard. It's just so specific, like you said. Do you want to talk about the Discover commercial while we sort of lumping in with the other ones? I, I'm assuming you have you seen us yet? I, I'm going to, but I haven't seen it yet, but I know I don't want to spoil it for people. I know enough yeah. of what it's about. So I got the general gist of it. I, from what people say, it sounds like it was really well done and based on the movie, but I don't, I don't know if necessarily holds up that well as that funny unless you specifically know the movie. So I would say you were probably had good instincts picking checks over that one. Although people that have seen us, I know are raving about that commercial. Yeah, the thing is, I think the concept was fantastic. If you know what happens in Us, considering what we've seen all the times with that Discover commercial, which I found out actually very recently, uh, I usually thought you were they were talking with the same person in those commercials. It's actually a very different but similar looking person, which is a strange casting choice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm always happy when they put Ego in the lead role. And the, the thing for me is just that there were so many details about the movie. I wouldn't say it's completely comparable to the uh, the the Call Drogo talk show sketch from the Jason Momoa episode, but it's a little bit in the same vein of you're going to enjoy this a lot more if you know these extremely specific references. So I feel like the framing was really interesting, but if you don't know a lot of the minutia mm-hmm. behind the film, it sort of loses steam for you. Though again, Keenan was a great closer in this sketch. Just him, his him like Heidi, just completely noping out of the commercial. <laughs> yeah, and Ego did a great job of acting. It was very well 
produced and acted and everything. It just it's really dependent on if you know the references. That's the problem. And well, let's go to these are a, a couple of pre tapes that actually deal with more pop culture things as well. Granted, not as detailed as that commercial, but let's talk about some pre tapes here that also popped out during these episodes. We have the unknown caller, aka Chad <laughs> in Scream, versus the Impossible Hulk, where Idris Elba <laughs> transforms into an angry white woman, and. The duel, aka Farewell, Mr. Bunting, uh, in <laughs> Victorian era. So, Mario, what'd you think of these three? You know, the fact that you could pick out one really solid pre tape out of all these episodes just kind of underscores how good these episodes were. Yeah. Like, all of those were pretty good. I, I probably like the duel the least of those three, but that's only because I really like the other two. Mm. And I go, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Pete fan, but, you know, Chad is the perfect character for him. And if you're. Oh. Yeah, if you're going to write a recurring character for Pete Davidson, that's what you're going to do. This is, I think, my favorite Chad appearance. Maybe since, uh, maybe since the very first one, because I wouldn't say they expanded on him, but they like gave him stuff to say instead of just the okay, sure, you know, him talking about what's your biggest fear, dick falls off, uh, hot, you know, him laughing and saying slit. Uh, <laughs> I he he'd served as I think it's just because Mulaney maybe got more frustrated as opposed to some of the other characters he's dealt with have been. I don't know, more often their own little worlds, that it felt like more of a, a two-hander, which was a lot of fun. Like, you know, uh, him coming in and revealing himself as this middle school student who was tormented, and Chad goes, oh, nice to meet you. I think that dynamic really worked for me particularly. Yeah, no, I got nothing bad to say about that. It was it was, it was, was a strong pre-tape, and I liked it. Again, obviously, you know, Scream, maybe not the most topical thing to be doing a parody of in 2019, but it somehow works with Mulaney and Chad, so more power to them for pulling it off. What'd you think of The Impossible Hulk? That one was really interesting. You know, the first time I watched that, I'm like, okay, that was pretty funny. And then I, I gave it two weeks and watched it again today as my marathon. And I'm like, this was really good. Like, I kind of forgot that was in there because I remember the uh, the uh, Microsoft PowerPoint and the Can I Play That being so strong. And then you got this one kind of right after that. I'm like, that was a really good 20, 30 minutes of SNL right there. So yeah. I, what did you think about this one? Because I thought this one was fantastic. Yeah, this might have been my highlight. I agree that I think, particularly between PowerPoint and Impossible Hulk, it was a really good back-to-back. I loved the way it was done. Again, I cannot talk highly enough about the actual way these pre-tapes are filmed. Say what you mm-hmm. want to about the writing and performances, but they're so professionally done. And I love the comic book stuff and the origin story. I think it was some fun commentary on the trend as of late of angry white women you know, uh, ironically enough, <laughs> filming what they think when they think black people are doing, you know, uh, incriminating things. But I will also say, I know you're not the biggest Cecily fan, but these might have been her three episodes, in my oh, yeah. opinion. I think she stood out immensely in all these and proved she's probably the best actress the cast has. Yeah, and that's one of the things with Cecily, because I think she's a very strong cast member, but I don't agree with how they use her on the show sometimes. And it's it's similar to the Kristen Wiig argument, that she was so talented and so good, and they tended to fall back on the same thing of making her go out there and repeat catchphrases in a goofy voice over and over again, which is like the totally the not the best way to use Kristen Wiig. So when they do stuff like that with Cecily, like Gemma. It drives me insane because she's mm. so much better than that. But that's the stuff they keep having her do. But stuff like this, I, like I said, I think she is a she's a very good dramatic actress. So I agree with you. She's probably the best straight actress on the show. And stuff like this ties into her what she's good at very well. So I agree with you. I think she was very strong in these episodes. And I liked how with each of the beats that they did, they changed it up a little bit considering that it is a very one note character. Like her yeah. just sort of mismanaging her words to the point where she says, I'm in a lot of fear. Or <laughs> like, you are doing the assault to me. Uh, and I, I, there's some fun straight man stuff going on. Like when she says, I need to talk to your manager when it's an apartment party. I think that there was 
some really good performance stuff going on from both an Idris perspective and the Cecily perspective. I think there's a lot of fun in that. Imagine when they're sort of reacting to Cecily, that they're just imagining Idris Elba behaving the exact <laughs> same way. That makes me laugh even more. So I thought it was just a really well done sketch. Yeah. And uh, just to follow up on the Cecily thing, we just talked about how valuable she is in like little stuff. Sometimes I believe she was in the, what's that name sketch. She was really good in that. You kind of forget she was even in it. And I believe she was also in, can I play that also? Uh, yes, yes. Cause yeah. she was the, she was the middle one. I remember she had that fantastic line about like, who can you play? And she said like a mom, a teacher yeah. who, uh, doesn't, in, doesn't inspire her students, but learns from them and president only in a comedy. Yeah. So again, the credit where credit is due. She's very good at the, uh, those supporting roles like that. So I, I agree. So the duel, going back to what you're saying about a uh, toilet ejector seat, do you think that would be something else that would also be in the McCain Will Ferrell era if the, uh, if the visual effects were up to date? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't feel like the 90s because it's not, it's not, I mean, it's too well produced. It looks more professional. Like toilet seat ejector looks cartoony. This one like felt like a movie. It had like cinematography and stuff and like fog. Like it was really, it's, I'm not sure where this one would fit in. This wouldn't be the 90s. This would be more the, the Terran Killam age around the 2010s, 12s, somewhere in there. Mm. I really liked it. I mean, this would be like a funnier die sketch, I feel like, in terms of its production value. It was mm -hmm. incredible. Like the period wear that they mm -hmm. got, where they filmed everything, like you said, with the fog. I thought from a production perspective, it was extremely well done. And I thought Sandra Oh was throwing herself into it. I think she was the one who really sold this sketch. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can, I don't know how much the sketch would survive on this flimsy concept of someone just keeps getting shot. They would be hobbling along like they left their leg behind, uh, just like Sandra O's character did. But I thought she did a really good job and, and threw herself into it. And I'll give uh, kudos to Pete and Beck and Melissa for trying to play into the uh, the period stuff as well. And mm -hmm. It got super graphic. I mean, when they did like the blood spatter on the camera at one point, I was like, wow, they yeah. are real. They're going all grindhouse here. Yeah, it's Quentin Tarantino directed Sense and Sensibility, basically. Yeah. Oh, but, but I was going to say the thing that uh, that really sold it is Sandra Oh is a very good dramatic actress. She's clearly been stage trained and like she played that completely straight. And that's why that sketch worked, I think. Yeah. And I haven't heard I haven't heard universal praise for that. A lot of people didn't like it. Some did, some didn't. It's kind of mixed bag. But like, she elevated that sketch because she played it straight. Although I did, I actually I was accidentally pausing at one point today. I was taking notes and I paused it right when she gets hit. By, I think the third bullet, and she makes that goofiest face where she winks and sticks her tongue out really quick. And it's just really funny. You kind of you only you would, you would accidentally catch that on a pause, but for the most part, she played that so straight it sold the joke. Yeah, every frame Sandra O oh is doing something, so you have to yes. appreciate her with that. <laughs> yes. So going into weekend update, it's tough to sort of compare the Jost chase up. But what I will say is that a lot of groans with a lot of stuff the guys were doing. But on that note, I feel like it means that it's working. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's the opposite of uh, uh, what is it? Clapter. Yeah. You're not always doing something bad if you're getting groans. You're getting a, you're you're catching the audience off guard. And I will I will once again pull out a quote from the great Norm MacDonald, who says comedy is surprise. If I say something and I'm expecting a laugh and the audience doesn't laugh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I think that where these guys benefit the most is I do like how they sort of have said, all right, we'll reserve the political stuff for the beginning of everything and then just sort of move on into what I think is their much meatier material. And we'll talk about the meat of it all later on. But just stuff like particularly the, la the latter two episodes, like 
Colin's joke about how uh, happy Ash Wednesday or people who are really into 21 Savage. Michael Ooh. Che had like one of the best jokes of the entire Edris Elba episode with the uh, the doc against Michael Jackson was the uh, the worst thing since the since Dr. Conrad Murray. And then even in the in the uh, in the Sandra O oh episode, the, there was the what's black and white and red all over. And perhaps one of my favorite in terms of delivery, the woman being stranded in the SUV. And she says she shouldn't have made it. She, she said she couldn't have made it without her children, her delicious, delicious children. There was just a nice string of I think now that these guys are comfortable, they're really pushing that line. And I, for one, am very appreciative of it because you know what, if, if they're not necessarily delivering on the political material that much, you know, that's subject material that a lot of other shows cover much more frequently during the week. They at least have this material to play around with. Yeah, the one joke that stood out to me is the one about uh, where Michael Che basically just channels Norm MacDonald and he talks about the murderer getting out of prison or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was something like he he got out of prison for a certain number of years and he said like I can't wait to can't wait to get back to murdering. Yeah, the thing I miss the most, murdering. <laughs> and that was the last joke of the Mulaney things. They just awkwardly turned to the camera and just went from there. No, they, again, they're always solid. I think I just read somewhere they've been on the show for five years now as a team. Really? I didn't, I didn't realize it had been that long. We uh, we don't do any research on this podcast, so we could be wrong and I could be making up numbers. But I think I read somewhere it's been five years now. Wow. Time really flies. Right. Again, we, again, we could be wrong. So it's uh, Mike Bloom's fault. He told me that. Yes, I'm the I'm the I'm the one providing the fake news for this podcast. Well, let's get into our correspondence. I feel like those we can really compare. So we have the Smokery Farm scent filled dumb animals presentation from Kate and Eighty. In the second episode, we have the trio of the return of Goop with a Gwyneth Paltrow cameo. Pete and Leslie each doing their own talking heads, and then finally we have Cecily making a rare appearance of a political character moving from the cold open into weekend update as judge janine pirro and all of her fall out of her chair glory and Anne mclean the woman who could not spacewalk so what do you have any thoughts about any of these specific correspondence yeah i have actually uh, something to say about each one of them the uh the meat one the meat delivery service the first time I watched that, I thought, okay, that was pretty funny because obviously they'd left this prop out and there was all this horrible smelling meat and you have AD and Kate trying to react to it and Colin laughing off to the side. I watched it again today and damn, that was funny. And it looks like they're almost improvising the entire thing. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's really funny. And AD, what's interesting is you think Kate will generally lead stuff like that, but AD is the one really leading that. So it's interesting to watch her basically improvising and working around this prop. And, you know, it's a non-functioning prop that's screwing them up. I, it was really funny the more I watched it. And what's especially interesting in the meat delivery service one is watch how Kate loses it the entire time. And yeah. she, does not, she does not lose it. She is not an easy laugh. She is giggling the entire time through that sketch. And 80 is the one holding it together, which is an interesting little uh, flip-flop there. Yeah, I think it's because I think every time Kate just takes a breath to speak, <laughs> that odorous meat just wafts into her nostrils that she can't handle it. I totally agree. I thought there was some improv in there as well, especially when 80 said, you know, look at that gorgeous little stinking basket. And I know that Lauren is not a huge fan of improv but you'd like to think that the two of them have such tenure and such goodwill with him that they could improv a bit when things turn out to be super smelly but even outside of that i thought there were some really fun moments i thought this was a fun concept as well of okay don't worry guys we only kill the dumb or like morally uh morally unconscious animals particularly the kid the cow who bit the kid in the wiener and 
the duck who the only word they know how to spell is the R word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if the, the uh, stench hadn't been there, that would have been funny. So we would just, it's one of the things, sometimes when it goes off the rails, it makes it funnier or it makes it worse. This one, it made it funny. So yeah, big two thumbs up for that one. I thought that was a very strong uh, performance. What'd you think about the Goop Pete Leslie streak? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, the, the Goop stuff, because Heidi is becoming a little polarizing. And within my own house, even, I am the only one here who likes Heidi. My daughter, son, and wife do not like Heidi whatsoever. So it's becoming a very polarizing wow, topic. 25% approval rating in the land. I know household. it's terrible. It's, and I, I'm slowly starting to think maybe SNL isn't her perfect vehicle. I think she's super talented, but it, you know, the argument is that a lot of her stuff is the same mannerisms over and over. That's, you can't really ignore that. And I hate to say that, but again, when she has someone to play off, it's so much more interesting. So I love that they brought Gwyneth out. I know I've heard the argument that it kind of neuters Gwyneth a little or neuters the criticism a little when Gwyneth comes out and she's a part of it. So they can't really make fun of her. But I will say I've always loved Gwyneth Paltrow and SNL going back to the 90s. I've always thought she's really funny and she's a good sport. And I'm always surprised that she has such a bad reputation when she shows up. I'm like, she's done some really funny stuff on that show, including one of my all time favorite monologues where she interrupts Ben Affleck's monologue to point out that he couldn't have written the show because Matt wasn't there. (laughs) <laughs> which one of my all-time favorite moments of that era. So yeah, I thought it was cool, and I thought she did a good job, and I thought Heidi got to play off her. So I, I just thought I it was a a interesting twist for the Baskin Johns uh, character, but it also makes me think they've probably killed this character because you can't mm. go anywhere with it now. So I hope that's the last appearance of her. I hate to say that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I it's so interesting that when they brought her out, Michael even lampshaded like, here's what happened the last time you came out. And so they actually, when they repeated the same thing again, it felt odd. I will say I'm usually a fan of Gwyneth Paltrow, goop stuff aside. I didn't feel like she actually did the material this well, especially mm-hmm. compared. I think I think Heidi actually outdid her here. Maybe it's because it's her character, but yeah. I never felt Gwyneth was entirely on board with the nervous wreck number one of it all uh but i agree with you i think that this might be a a two strikes and you're out for baskin johns which she has plenty of other characters to pull on but you have to wonder where do you go from here considering if you bring out the founder of the company you're making fun of is there anywhere to go from here and i agree that anybody's gonna look weak next to heidi because she's such a strong character actress so i i wouldn't really hold that against gwyneth Gwyneth, because she's up against one of the best up there but i will say to her credit gwyneth did get the out of the line salt is just angry sugar which i will always remember absolutely pete davidson this might be i know i keep coming back and saying this is one of my favorite pete you know bits in general but i really like this one i think that especially as things become more troubling and revealed with some of these celebrities it really is a mainstream question as to how do you separate art from the artist. And so I really do appreciate Pete's take on it. But the highlight for me, honestly, might have just been his throwaway reference to his now romance with Kate Beckinsale, where he lists all of those, what do they call them, like May-November romances uh-huh. that have existed with male celebrities. Yeah, see, I was going to say just the opposite, that I really liked Pete in the first part of this. And it's one of those things that I, I, I often forget how Pete, how funny he can be when you put him in the right medium and give him the right material. And I thought this was an absolutely solid stretch where he's making the audience progressively more and more uncomfortable as their, you know, their anuses are puckering up. This was the one where, like, the Catholic Church, like, (laughs) demanded an apology from him uh, after he basically compared R. Kelly to them. Yeah, but it was a good point he actually made. He's like, you know, you don't find out how good someone's music is until they become a pedophile. And then the audience like, ooh, they don't want to go here. And they're like... They're like, even people ask me, how do you like that? How do you listen to that music still? And he's like, I don't know, headphones? 
Yeah. Which I thought that was great. I really liked that. And then I go complete opposite of you. And I know we're probably not supposed to swear on this show. Sorry, John. I apologize. But like Pete can just f- right off that we have to start talking about his dating life again. Like, screw that. I hate I mean, that. To be fair, he probably didn't want to talk about it. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you could tell when the audience reacted that that's something they want to talk about. And I agree. I don't necessarily feel like it needs to become like the Pete Davidson Inquirer Hour on yeah. the weekend update. I thought he referenced it in an interesting way. It's been a very interesting season for him. Going back to the main meat of the bit, uh, I think actually my favorite thing was uh, Pete's conviction that Charlie Chaplin married a 15-year-old and he couldn't even talk because <laughs> he's never seen him talk in his life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was solid material. So I, I give full credit to Pete for that. And I just I just wish that dating stuff wasn't in there because, again, in 10 years, is that going to hold up in the reruns? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see who Pete's married to at that point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about Leslie because Interesting change of literal place in the studio for Leslie. Not romancing Colin Jost, but I guess it's because she does not want him to burst into tears at the idea of her funeral. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was my least favorite of all the correspondence, and that's probably not going to shock anyone because all what I'm going to say next will shock people even less. That I, I'm just kind of over Leslie. I'm, I have no interest in her on SNL anymore, to be honest. So I just kind of tune out when she does her bits these days. Unfortunately, was this one especially good? I don't even remember what she talked about. Yeah, it was just basically how she wants her funeral to be. She wants a naked open casket that will explode after 90 minutes. Uh, She wanted Stifler to speak at the funeral. She wanted Mm -hmm. Fantasia Barino to sing. And she wanted Aquaman because his name is not Jason Momoa. Now it's Aquaman dressed up as Khal Drogo. So it's basically just Leslie's laundry list of humorous things she would want at her funeral. Nothing really to write home about, in my opinion. Yeah. My my big takeaway from this episode is, man, update was long in the Idris Elba episode. Yeah. Because you had the three correspondents. I, I was shocked when I watched it today. I'm like, wow, now they're going to bring Leslie out? Like, it should be over. And now we got a third correspondent. Like, it was just a long stretch of episode. And compare that to the John Mulaney episode, where maybe it's because there was so much sketch stuff going on with Mulaney sitting there that they only did one. And we sort of get the happy medium here in the final episode. So what I, as, as a non-political person, what did you make of Cecily's take on Janine Pirro? I don't know who Janine Pirro is other than who they, <laughs> you know, how they bring her out on SNL. So she's a conservative judge and they have her go over the top. And I mean, it's fine, but it's kind of one note to me. But I like her. She throws everything into the character, which I always appreciate. Literally, she threw herself yeah. off the chair. <laughs> you know, that made me laugh. I appreciated that. I've never seen Cecily do that move before. The She doesn't normally do slapstick like that. So yeah. I appreciate when she starts bringing new dimensions to it. Although someone pointed out the other day, I think it was on Twitter that that Cecily's Janine Pirro voice is the exact same voice as Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey. And it's almost impossible not to notice that when you listen for it. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's everything old is new again. We'll see if Janine Pirro starts talking to an astronaut about whether they would go to the moon if it was made of cheese. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was solid. I, I liked it. It's, it's not it's never my forte, the political stuff. But this was among the better stuff they do because there was actual, you know, jokes and shtick in there. Yeah. And I wonder I wonder if the fall was planned ahead of time because it felt like that fall really broke Colin. And I wonder if he did not know ahead of time that she would do that. Yeah, that might have been her catching him off guard because, I mean, it wasn't an accident. She flung herself so violently, but it's entirely possible she had not been doing that in dress rehearsal. So talk to me about uh, the astronaut that was promised but did not deliver. What would you think about poor Anne McLean? Yeah, that was it was solid. It wasn't one that I remember thinking wasn't very strong. But also when we're comparing all these correspondence from these three episodes, this is the one that I tend to forget. Mm. I'm trying to remember individual specifics about it. Like I know AD always does strong character work and it was a funny story in the news. And obviously it doesn't look real good that NASA doesn't have women's spacesuits. But uh, yeah, I don't I 
it's not one that actually stood out to me as being especially great or especially not great other than so i think sometimes it just there were just too many correspondents were kind of going over in these episodes i agree and there was a lot of preamble as well so people understood that this was an actual person i think by far the best part was her final words that remember all girls can become astronauts just not at the same time i think that's (laughs) maybe if they had lived more in that type of bitingness i mean i know she was a very biting character though she was trying to mask it through a hell of happiness uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that overall it was well done. I like that they're bringing 80 more to the update desk to try out these characters. So granted, I don't think you can do this again. Hopefully this will not be a situation that happens again, but I thought pretty good. Yeah, I mean, 80 also had a string of solid episodes and we already mentioned that about Cecily. So we mentioned about 80. I think a lot of cast members kind of had a strong stretch of episodes here just because these were fairly strong episodes. Final thing I want to compare across all three episodes. Let's talk about our 10 to ones here because that's consistent across every episode. Mm-hmm. We have the... Cinema classics to have and to not have, which it's interesting. The cinema classics is usually for a made up film. This is for an actual one. Obviously, it's their take on the you know how to whistle scene versus the actor friends with Idris Elba and Beck versus the SAT prep. That is sort of a reference to my so-called life, though you wouldn't necessarily get that uh, upon just not knowing exactly what they look like. Yeah, what's funny is that I almost like it's like 90% success rate that I love 10 to 1 sketches just because they're always so weird. And like, there's no there's no stakes in them. They're just somebody's dream sketch. They finally got in the air. But I only really liked one out of these three. Can you guess Mm. which one I liked? I'm assuming you're gonna like the my so called life one. Yeah, the SAT one, just because it was so bizarre and these monologues came out of nowhere. And like Kyle's in particular that I loved. I love how I almost wonder if Kyle had a hand in writing that one because it felt like his type of sketch. I loved him. Him describing a parabola was actually probably the most accurate of them, too, in terms of like he, he got the shape right. He just told the story around it. <laughs> yeah, the the one with Reese DeWatt, the cinema classics. Yeah, this is what I would call a Kristen Wiig sketch where you just go out there and have her do shtick over and over again, which was funny at first, but there was, this one felt really long after a while. And I'm like, I appreciate that Kate's talented, but this is not... I really kind of thought it killed the momentum at the end of the Mulaney episode. And, and I'm going to say, I also didn't really like Bodega Bathroom that much. So hmm. this is probably why I'm not as high on Mulaney as other people were, is that I think it kind of ran out of steam at the end. Interesting, because I, I thought, actually, ironically enough, this sketch went better as it went along. Of course, you had... I mean, I'm glad they gave Kate something to do besides, like, put on a bald cap and act creepy. This Mm -hmm. is actually her sort of doing, you know, what we fell in love with her for doing in the first place. But I liked her sort of covering for herself as it went along. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and John Mulaney's reaction to it of the, hi, it's me again, just from before. And he goes, yes, you don't have to keep introducing yourself. (laughs) Uh, And her just constantly trying to do things and then following up with, maybe I'm gay. What do you think? Or, uh, you know, yeah, you just... Follow the stink. Follow your nose down the hallway and you'll find the stink. I should go to school. Uh, th- those types of things, I think Kate really sold it. But yeah, it's a tough comparison because as someone who even grew up on, not necessarily my so-called life, but this is very like Degrassi as well. You know, like the very contemplative, overly analytical high school kids, uh, I thought was a lot of fun. I think everyone did a great job at it. I thought Sandra Oh was a great straight woman as well. Uh, just dude, very incredulous about what all these kids are saying. Well, I love that she even got a monologue at the end where I can't even give this away. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that there were some really fun specifics in here. I actually would not be surprised if it was Kate and Aidy who wrote it, considering they literally embodied the characters from my so-called life. And, you know, they were, I think Kate might have been my, Kyle had some great stuff, but when Kate says, you know, you might as well forget about college and drop out because you're going to toilet school. (laughs) It's those little stupid things, you know. uh, Remember that night at Football House when you showed me what stars were? I think... (laughs) I just love the writing in those two 10 to 1s. The actor one was, eh, 
you know, as someone who, who used to act, that's a very similar sentiment that, you know, a group of friends who all act would have that one also awkwardly cut off. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it was just like, it just needed to end like that British talk show sketch from a while back, the Brexit one. But that one was a very odd way to end the Indra's Elba episode. Yeah, that's the problem when you have three correspondents on update. It cuts off that last sketch. Exactly. It was screwed because of what we just talked about. Yeah. What's funny is now that you mention it, the SAT prep, the My So-Called Life sketch, that feels like something Mulaney might have written. Yeah. Like it almost feels like that one should have been in the Mulaney episode and it would have been a perfect ending to that episode. Maybe he wrote it and they just didn't have time, so they put it in this one. Well, there you go. Yeah. And again, Sandra Oh did it justice because she's a strong host. So but yeah, I, I would rank them that way. I like the, the 10 to 1 with the SAT prep, the the Kate McKinnon one with uh, with uh, Mulaney, not my favorite, but I liked it more than the actor one, which just was just kind of there. All right, well, let's go back. Let's just touch upon some other some other uh, potpourri, if you will. Going back to the Mulaney episode, Mario, I know you, you talked about how you weren't a big fan of Bodega Bathroom. Can you uh, <laughs> can you can you enlighten me on that? I'm Kim, I cannot believe we went that far in the podcast without talking about Bodega Bathroom because that's yeah. the that was like the big sketch that everyone was talking about and I believe is still talking about. Um, I would like to hear your thoughts first. I, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm not going to change my answer, but I, I'm curious. What did you think of the bodega? What's it called? Bodega of love. So look, it's always tough to follow up something like Diner Lobster, which was so unexpected, so surprising and so well done for what it's worth. Did it exceed Diner Lobster? Maybe not from a surprise and a humor perspective, from a production and spectacle perspective. Absolutely. We had turntables. We had multiple things we were parodying. We had a flying toilet. Uh, and I, I will also say the Mulaney episode, I think would also maybe buoy my reception to it compared to others, is that it was very New York. Between yeah. that and the Mulaney monologue, it was basically like, hey, you, you all live in New York, right? All the people I'm talking to, you understand what I'm talking about. And so if you don't necessarily live in an urban environment where there are all these random CD bodegas everywhere, this would not speak to you as much, especially when they get into the 525,600 items of it all. Cause those were all true. I loved all the specificities. I really thought they knocked this one out of the park personally as a fan of musicals, as a New Yorker, and as someone who is all about random quirky details that exist in sketches. This was, this was out of sight for me personally. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was like, First off, I couldn't believe they had the balls to try to do Lobster Diner again. I'm like, wow. Like, I don't know if you're going to be able to capture that. I think they were lucky they pulled that off the first oh, time. I mean, that's the, the I mean, listen, for a show that did Debbie Downer two or three times <laughs> after that first initial dumpster fire that led to hilarity, do not put it past SNL to try to make lightning happen two to yeah. three times afterwards. Yeah, no, I'm just saying the, uh, the margin of error was so small on Lobster Diner. And again, we have to point out that the live version sucked. Remember, they screwed up the music. Yeah. It wasn't time. So what you see, what people see now on the internet and on reruns is not what we saw on TV because they actually effed it up. They had to, they had to do the dress rehearsals because everything was off tempo. So the, the, the margin of error was so small, I could not believe they tried to do it again. But they did, and they went over the top with it. And my thing was like the first one kind of had a point. Like you don't order lobster in a diner, and it was it was it was very self-contained within where it should be and where it needed to go and where it ended. Mm. The second one seemed like they had so many ideas you wanted to put in there, and I agree it was so ambitious in the stage direction and the you know the presentation was just so awesome, but it was just too much for me. Like it just felt like it needed to be trimmed down. Someone needed to tell him no at a certain point. It just like, I appreciate how much stuff it that was in there, but it's almost like a Stephen King book. Like, you know, someone could have told you to cut 200 pages out of that King and it still would have been good. 
we forgot the part when the cockroaches and the rats all had sex in the sewers to make sure they did not forget the bodega bathroom. <laughs> yeah, but like that sketch just went on forever. And I watched it again today and I'm like laughing at it. I'm like, all right, now the Oompa Loompas are here. Oh, now we're going into a new song and now we're in front. They're talking about flan. Like it's just, it felt like it was too much. And that's the thing mm. with SNL. Like I can appreciate some people might've wanted more, wanted, wanted, wanted all that. But to me, it just felt like it was, it was not as tight as it should have been. It just kind of meandered. Well, on the other hand, with these musical things, I know it wasn't a completely musical sketch, but what did you think about the cha-cha slide wedding sketch? <laughs> That's interesting because the first time I watched that one, I was like, yeah, that was, that was okay. It didn't really resonate with me. And then I watched it again today and I'm like, that was actually pretty funny. And I kind of forgot the little running joke about like, this is the club edit where there's all the different stuff in there. Like, what are the different dance moves they're doing? The uh, roll stir the dice, the grits. stir the grits, uh, pull out the church fan, which might have been yeah. my favorite because it had props, Funky <laughs> Fox, and of course, Beyonce 1 and Beyonce 2. Yeah. And again, that was a total Mulaney sketch that I can just see. Like, it wasn't really that funny of an idea, but it kept getting more and more specific and more and more absurd that it got. It kind of won me over by the end. So I like that one. Again, I like that one. I like Bodega Bathroom for what it was, but I absolutely do not think it was better than Lobster Diner just because it was it was not focused and it was just too much, I thought. All right. Well, let's move into the Idris Elba episode. Uh, talk to me about, we mentioned this before, the PowerPoint sketch, uh, the uh, We Made Trash Sir sketch. <laughs> you could make the argument. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. You could make the argument that was the funniest sketch in these three episodes. And I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I, that's uh, someone could say that. I mean, the visual comedy was fantastic. I mean, this sketch, as much as AD and K did a fantastic job of selling their miserable failures and really making us feel sympathetic for them and how self-effacing they are, that sketch is not complete without those hysterical PowerPoint presentations. And I am so happy the staff was able to pull it off between you saw from the very first slide of it just being a bunch of rectangles with help written on it you knew it was going to be in for a good time and you know some were hits some were misses i did like strictly uh the very simplistic cornbread struck through but there there were some really fun visuals here accompanied by just the two of them flagellating themselves as it just kept getting worse and worse that was so funny i was just dying laughing watching it today and taking the notes i took more notes on that sketch than any other sketch because i wrote down every line they said like we made trash sir and I'm a total simple turd. I'm an idiot bitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved uh, AD talking about like how she she only occasionally brushes her teeth. The kid says, I wipe as best I can, but there's always more. <laughs> okay, here's the one that really got me. And I don't know what, this is so specific, but they made the visual of the boy who had a speaker in his eye. Yeah. And 80s like, we thought we could make a music video. <laughs> and then Kate's like, we were so arrogant. <laughs> So, okay, I'm gonna, there's my hot take. I'm going to make the argument that was the funniest thing of all three episodes. That was really funny. Uh, I sometimes forget just how good of a pair Kate and AD are. I mean, it's no coincidence that they're appearing in all these things together between the Smoke Ray Farm stuff and this. They just play so well off of each other. And I just think uh, it was such... I mean, yeah, that was... <laughs> I, I mean, I'd say, I'll say that that passes the... I think the Impossible Hulk was more well done but from a pure comedy perspective i think powerpoint surpasses it to be my number one with the idris elba episode by far yeah and it's one of those things that i made this countdown for people who don't know on my website i have a, a survivor countdown called the funny 115 which is my favorite survivor moments and i made an snl one my favorite snl moments between 2000 and 2015 this is one of those little obscure sketches that i'm never going to forget that would probably make a countdown like that 
just because it's not one people are going to remember. They're going to remember the bigger stuff. But like, I defy anyone to watch that sketch and not laugh. It's going to hold up so well. There's nothing specific in it. It's just so obscure and I mean, uh, random and well acted and just it just it just goes in bizarre directions. So that's the one. I'm I'm changing my stance again. I think that was the funniest thing. Sorry, checks. I think that might have been the funniest of the three. All right, you will go to bat for that. Speaking of sports and bats, because uh, we don't need to talk about the magician sketch. Uh, it was not very <laughs> well, okay, good. Let's talk. Okay, we can talk about why it didn't work. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, it was like a tank full of water sloshing all over. I think there was just mislines all over the place. I like the final bit that Keenan wanted to kill his wife, but I okay. wish we had sort of seen more of that. I think I, I, Leslie was had the energy there, but it just felt like too much of a mess overall that it didn't work for me. Yeah, it's interesting because it's one of those things I will go into a little comedy theory here. You know when Damon Wayans got fired from SNL right back in the 80s? Right, when he did the uh, the gay cop and the Mr. Monopoly sketch. Yeah, so that's the thing. He takes away from the joke. The joke is the Monopoly, and you have Damon Wayans doing gay shtick, and everyone thinks that's the point of the sketch, and it, it just derails it. The point of that sketch should have been the evil magician, the club owner trying to kill his wife, and it's I've read some people have a problem with that, whatever you can if you want. But if, if you're going with that as the premise of your sketch, you shouldn't have Leslie doing such, you know, random, bizarre, over-the-top slapstick and splashing around in the background where that becomes the point of the sketch. Mm. It's just it was just structurally there was something wrong with it. And I don't think that sketch had to flop. I think it could have worked. It just wasn't executed very well. I do not disagree. Uh, what did you think about this Premier League football sketch? I'm I'm of two minds about it because I'm always game for stupid stuff, especially in sketch. And I did love how just dumb Idris Elba's football player was. But I don't know. And maybe it went on a bit too long and he said things that were a bit too crude that (laughs) it felt a a little too mean for me. Yeah. See, I was going to say this is why I like the Idris Elba episode more than the Mulaney. You like the Mulaney one more because you love the bodega and you didn't like this. I like the Idris Elba one because I love this sports sketch and I didn't love the bodega. So that's mm. probably in our, why we're, we're ranking them differently. I thought this was fantastic. It was a perfect little vehicle for Idris Elba to, you know, do his accent. And he probably knows the stuff he's talking about. He probably knows these players. This is a very comfortable sketch for him. But I will say why this sketch is really funny is if you watch it again, watch Alex and Mikey reacting to him every time. Especially Alex. Alex is so good at reacting to him. It's just, there's little funny stuff that they're doing off to the sides. It's just as funny as his comments. And I just thought it was a really well done kind of small sketch. And again, the fact that it was in the same episode as the PowerPoint one, which is another kind of small, meaningless sketch that was just really well done. That's why I think this Elba episode was so strong because both of these were in here and they were both similar sketches, I thought. There were some fun nuggets in here. Even when you start things off with how's the leg, which one, it's just like, it's stupid like who's on first things like that that really made me laugh. I love the whole extended bit of trying to explain this scenario <laughs> to him of okay, you're the coach. What are you telling your players? Uh, oh, sorry, the coach is dead and I'm the coach. You know, those types of things. I feel like when they say, "Oh, you was the worst one when you ended on making fun of the sponsor." I really don't feel like that was the worst one considering oh. how he blatantly openly on public TV flirted with two other women while his <laughs> wife was sitting next to them, but I, th- I thought this maybe was Elba. You could tell had a lot of fun with this. This was, this was the most British he could be. And he really mm-hmm. leaned into that. Yeah. And again, I th- I'm almost positive. Mikey day had a hand in writing this one. You can always kind of tell a Mikey day sketch. It just gets progressively more and more elaborate and goes off the rails. That's, that's kind of his template. So yeah, this is, I just loved everything about it. The, yeah, I'd smash that. No, no, that's your, that's your co- teammate's wife. No, I'd smash her too. Like I just, I really like this one again. It was, 
really well acted, and I think it elevated it above the material just because it, it was they did a good job. Speaking of Mikey Day, let's go into this future me sketch. I think we have another <laughs> member of the family tree with Kevin Roberts and Boo Boo Jeffries and David S. Pumpkins. It's Tishy. Yeah, and also the uh, Emma Stone, the hot dog girl. Yeah, who we, who we might see back in a few weeks. I, I, I am such a sucker for these Mikey Day and the Streeter sketches. And that's absolutely my type of humor. Every time, there's never one of them that hasn't killed with me. And this was another one. And I've I've read reviews that people said they hated Tishy. They hated this one. And I'm like, yeah, maybe she was a little over the top. And maybe they probably wrote the sketch for Aquafina, which it felt like that to me. I'm like, I bet they had this one hanging around for a couple of weeks. But Tishy was basically the mother of the Aquafina girl who remember when she had the sketch of the baby shower when she was walking around holding a piece of pizza in her hand. Yeah. It felt like they could be in the same family. But what I loved about this one is I loved how progressively more elaborate it got. That's, again, the Mikey and Streeter trademark. But Sandra O, oh, this is not the type of role she generally does. No. I, I love the part where she had to do her dance. Oh, so good. Yeah, she was having so much fun. And I just love the running joke that she always had a broken arm over 20 years. It never healed. <laughs> like, that is such a, that's like almost a, like a Will Forte detail you'd put in a sketch. That's not the, the premise of the sketch. It's just a little side detail. Yeah, I just, Sandra O oh won me over in this one, I gotta say. And that's why I think, even though her episode I don't think was as strong as the other two, she was such a game fun host that she could elevate stuff like this and it made it fun and watchable. Yeah, this was, I was most impressed by Sandra O oh here because, like you said, it was so completely different from her usual energetic but reserved persona that she had. I mean, when you have this back to back with the duel, it's literally like night and day. Yeah. I totally agree. I'm a big, especially when it comes to the specificities, I'm a big fan of specifically Mikey reacting to all these things i love the fact that t that tishy is somehow drinking four loco many many years after it got banned basically <laughs> like it's still banned today and she's drinking it you know 10 years into the future i just love the mystery of what that good goo goo meant that's that's my one qualm with the sketch is i think they actually the uh the av club reviewer wrote about this a lot of the fun that is had with these characters are that they are so enigmatic that they have these weird mannerisms and mm -hmm. they don't answer the question as to why i love them like you kept asking like why do you stay with her i thought it was a little bit of a cop-out that they said yeah. oh it's because she owns samsung so you know you do it for the money basically i like it better that mikey is frightened out of his mind that he's gonna make such a horrible decision to let to get with this woman for the next like 20 plus years of his life for no good reason yeah yeah that's not just a little cop-out that's a huge cop-out that's my one one criticism with this as well like it's funnier not to know like, oh, you're still with her after she burned your house down all those times. What do you mean all those times? Yeah. And like, I love the, the boss. That's the thing where you not, not only are you hearing about Tishy firsthand, then he talks to his boss in the future. And the boss is like, yeah, what's the deal with you and Tishy? Like, even the, even the side characters are commenting on it. And it was, it was such a, it's almost the, te the Kevin Roberts template. I hate to say that, but I love Kevin Roberts. So I'm not going to ever, I'm never going to not love this sketch. And I, 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 I hope this one ages well. Let's talk about a couple of current events-based sketches. Do you have any thoughts about either the Jesse Smollett like PR makeover sketch or the Putin cabinet Kremlin meeting? Uh, the, the, the Putin one, I don't even want to talk about. Do you have anything to say about that? I was so bored by that one. Uh, the Putin one, I will say, I will not be surprised if Mr. Bowen Yang is on the SNL featured player cast within a year or two. He's, the, he's a new writer as of this year, but I think he's actually developing a Comedy Central show with Aquafina. Mm -hmm. uh, so he clearly is a comedy expert. He appears as Kim Jong-un here, and I thought he did a, a pretty good job. So I could totally see him pulling a, a Leslie here and just, if he's able to make a good 
couple of sketch appearances or you know knocked it out of the park on an update appearance or two i could see him making his way into the uh the main cast which would be interesting but yeah that was an interesting perspective at least that putin was still was now trying to talk himself up of like hey you talked a big game that you thought trump was your best friend and now he's not but Outside of that, you know what? I'd rather have this political sketch than what we had in the cold open. So beggars can't be choosers. Well, yeah. So you get the best of both worlds. You get both of them in one episode. Yeah. I mean, listen, if we if we had made this the cold open, it would have saved us so, so much frustration from the first seven minutes of this episode. Well, yeah, but De Niro needed that walk-on applause. You want to get that in your episode. Oh, boy. All right. Well, do you want to talk about Jesse Smollett for a hot second? Yeah, I mean, that was one that didn't really stand out because it was surrounded by so many strong things in these three episodes. But it was it was good for what it was. And I, you know, Chris Redd is starting to grow on me. I, there's, there's certain mannerisms he has that I look forward to in the episode. And that's the greatest thing I can say about a new cast member. I'm like, I like when he starts doing Chris Redd things. And I really thought he was pretty good in this one. Like it wasn't the strongest sketch of any, I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, but I I thought it was pretty solid for what it was. And, and, uh, it was kind of at the start of the episode. That's kind of my, my criticism with the Sandra O episode, why it wasn't as strong as the other two, because it didn't start strong. Mm. Like, I don't know if this should have been the first sketch. I thought maybe Mikey and Tishy should have been first or the uh, or electric shoes would have been fun to have early in this episode and just have Keenan showing up all throughout the episode and other sketches. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I really hope that he would have come crash the musical guest second performance and just <laughs> perform electric yeah. shoes. Yeah, yeah, I would say that the Jesse Small, I think my favorite thing by far was the clue bag. I feel like that was enough of an over-the-top campy thing because you can tell from the audience reactions this is still a very sore subject with them and understandably so so i think it was gonna be a tough thing to get them on board with to begin with and i thought chris sold it admirably it just felt like a very awkward sketch it had an awkward ending too where he like came back in with the neck brace like you won't believe what happened here so yeah. if they had spent more time in the clue bag maybe it would have worked better do you want to talk for a second about electric shoes as well as, as we dance our way out of these three episodes yeah, I will in a second, but I just want to say, if we're doing the Jesse Smollett stuff, I like this version of it better than the Shark Tank one they did earlier. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was, uh, I mean, I'm glad that one was short. That just, it was, that was one of those SNL sketches where they spend two minutes introducing things and then 30 seconds actually living in yeah. that world. Exactly. Yeah. So we're glad we didn't really talk about that. Yeah. The Jesse one was fine. I would love Jesse to just be popping up with like, again, the, the bag of clues about the murder, which I, I did appreciate the wordplay there. Like no yeah. one died. It's the thing the killer, the killer must have left these crest white yeah. strips. All right. So electric shoes. Yeah. Electric shoes. Fun way to end the show. I thought the Sandra O episode ended very strong because you had checks and then you had electric shoes and you had the, uh, my so-called life SAT prep. And then you had Kate as the old woman, the kiss, which it wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't a bad sketch. It was still a fun one and a fun Kate showcase. So I thought all these were strong at the end of the episode. Chex is the one that stood out to me, but I can understand why Electric Shoes kind of caught on with the audience. Perhaps that's uh, what up with what up with that one last time on the way out here. Yeah, it's basically what up with that's like <laughs> grandfather, you know, yeah. and uh, I'm surprised you said showcase and not show kiss for Kate. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for going for that joke. I wasn't sure if someone was going to. Uh, did you watch any of the cut for time sketches from these three episodes? No, and I didn't. And have I have I ranted about that before? No. Okay. Here, I'll go on my rant. I used to talk about this on our old SNL podcast. I have not here on SNL After Party. I don't think it's fair that people start talking about these cut for sketch episodes or these cut for time sketches as being like a great thing because they weren't technically part of the episode and they're not going to be part of the episode and like they were cut for a reason. So like, I think it's cool that SNL gets to post them. Everyone gets to talk about them. But Lauren made an executive decision not to put those in the episodes and you're never going to see them again. So... Well, I think they're cool. I don't think they should count as part of the episode. I will say, as a Kyle Mooney fan, you should watch the one from the Idris Elba episode. I think you would really enjoy it. And I'll, I'll leave it at that, just to sort of abridge the conversation. All right, give me a teaser. What's it, what's it about? Kyle is 
Adam Zeekman, uh, the, the SNL cast member from season 44 oh, that has yet to yeah, appear in a sketch. I have heard about that one. Yeah, I do want to watch it. But again, it was people have to remember those were cut for a reason and they will not be considered part of the episode in the future. Well, what will certainly not be cut are the next two episodes in April for Saturday Night Live. We have coming up this Saturday, Kit Harrington, Jon Snow himself hosting with musical guest Sarah Bareilles, followed by, I think this is her fourth time hosting, Emma Stone with musical guest BTS. Mario, mm-hmm. any expectations at all about these two hosts? Emma Stone is great, and she's always pulled off stuff. There's one I'm on my SNL Funny 115. I have let's have let, let's make technology hump with yes. her and Andy Samberg. Yeah, so a little obscure stuff. She's funny, and she's a good sport. And again, she did the hot dog girl with uh, Mikey and Streeter before. So I'm expecting great things from her. I uh, I'm slightly embarrassed. No, I don't know Kit. He's not he's not the car from Knight Rider, right? No, unfortunately, William Daniels was not able to make though Maybe he'll make a random appearance. Maybe it'll be like Kit and Kit during one of their pre-tapes. <laughs> yeah, the very topical humor right there, right, right up with the Scream parodies. Yes, and the, the when they did the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air riff and the Bart Simpson kid. <laughs> yeah. Kit Harrington, uh, it'll be interesting. We'll see. Jason Momoa, luckily, they only made one really detail-heavy Game of Thrones reference uh, in a sketch. We'll see if they're able to resist that temptation with Kit Harrington. Mm-hmm. I'll admit my expectations are a bit low just because Kit Harrington is not someone who again is known for comedy that much. I do believe actually he was in a one of the he was in like an Andy Samberg mockumentary tennis thing on HBO. So maybe he can do comedy and I just don't realize it. But I'm super psyched for Emma Stone. I agree with you. I think she is always a very solid host. She is a huge fan of the show. I remember for the SNL 40th anniversary, she came out doing Roseanne Rosanna Dana. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly inspired by Gilda Radner. And I, her episode from 2016 was one of my, I think, top five episodes of that season. And that was a very strong season. So I'm extremely excited. I know there's also been some banter around. We'll talk about this, you know, at, during our April in review. But seems like, Mario, we might be staring down the barrel of a possible Sandler hosting in the beginning of May. Yeah, What what's the uh, odds on that actually being the real schedule is has it been confirmed that that is an actual thing or is that an april fool's day joke yeah i don't know because it's not written on the uh, on the actual patented snl index card so i don't know if it's actually in ink mm-hmm. but it seems like we could be looking at adam sandler emma thompson and then an unknown host for the season finale now it can uh, see i don't want to talk about this too much because it might not be true but adam sandler has never hosted before right don't believe so no he's made yeah. a number of cameos but i don't believe he's actually ever hosted the show before can you imagine him meshing with this current era of SNL? Like, I can't even picture what that would be like. I mean, it would probably be a lot like, I don't know if you saw his uh, his Netflix comedy special that he put out this year, but I think it would be something very similar in terms of like bringing his own style into the modern day with mixed hmm. results. So it should be very interesting. We'll also see from that perspective how much he'll sort of have a contribution in the writer's room, you know, from yeah. a, from an alumni perspective, it varies. So we'll see, because I agree that maybe his sensibilities do not jive well with what this cast is trying to do. Yeah. Although I will say in his defense to this day, I'm not sure who's better shampoo or conditioner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they never settled that battle. It just all fell into the tub and came into a wash literally. Yeah. And one of them makes the hair silky. So I think it's that one. But again, we shouldn't jump too far ahead because this could be an April fool's day joke and Sandler's not even hosting. So who knows what's going on? I want to make sure to cut this out, John, if uh, if for some reason it's proven to be a joke. Yes, please. After the fact, when things get announced three weeks from now, please go back and cut this out for anyone listening back. But yeah, as Mario said, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Luckily, I think there's only two episodes in April. I know this was a bit of a longer one, but we have three episodes to talk through. And there were three ones that I, I really, you know, enjoyed. Granted, it was on a sliding scale and I enjoyed more than others. But I think 
as we talked about, the back half of season 44 has been pretty solid so far. Definitely better than the first half, the end of 2018. So I'm I'm hopeful that considering the question mark that is Kit Harrington and the exclamation point that is Emma Stone, it's it's going to be a good end to the sentence. Yep. And just as always, remember, a check is drama. A check is a promise. And please make sure you put a slash at the end of the podcast. Otherwise, these guys will not add a bunch of zeros in editing. Uh, you can make sure to follow all of us on social media. Mario's at Mario J. Lanza. I am at a Mike Bloom type. You can follow Saturday Night Live After Party as well. I believe it's at SNL Podcast. They'll be sure to come up with individual episodes as well for these next few episodes before Mario and I are back in the mid to end of April to talk about April 2019 in review. Thank you all so much for listening. Mario, great work as per usual. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.